This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're future-proofing our children in episode number 116. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And we are here for episode number 116. I waited until the last minute to record this episode because I had a horrible cold across the end of last week and the beginning of this week. Uh, Fortunately, it's died down, but I still sound a little bit stuffy, and I apologize for that. But I really wanted to make sure that I got a podcast out this week, so I'm recording it now. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that... uh, I feel like it's a topic that's a little hard to talk about. Last week's topic was also hard to talk about because it's something that just requires, uh, it requires forethought and intentionality. It's not something fun like researching car seats or planning baby names or even thinking about snuggling and cuddling a nursing baby. You know, it's just, uh, it's something that's a little bit deeper and a little bit heavier, but I think it's going to be a good thing to talk about. I, in the intro for this episode, I said, you know, we're going to be future-proofing our kids, which that's a term, if you guys aren't familiar with it, that's actually used in the tech industry, future-proofing your technology. And I actually really dislike the term, which is one of the reasons why I chose to use it, because I think it's a total jerk, or excuse me, a total joke. (laughs) Maybe somebody who uses it as a total jerk if they try to sell you something, like I'm going to sell you this computer, which is future-proofed, when we all know that that's not the case in a couple years, maybe even a year, it's going to be obsolete. Hopefully it'll give you several years of good service, but the industries are always advancing. Uh, So you can't really future-proof a device. The the closest you could get is maybe a desktop that you were going to change every component on. And we can't really future-proof our kids either. But we can parent in a way now that helps our children in the future. So that's the topic for today's podcast. It's how to parent our children now with the future in mind. We start off with a newborn, and rightly so. uh, All of our attention is on the here and now, in the immediate period with your newborn. Now, I think it's not completely fair because most of us, when we're pregnant, are not just in the here and now. We're making choices for our children. Uh, We're researching things. But often those are still things like, what car seat should I get? Like I shared on last week's podcast, we're expecting baby number eight. Um, And one of our vans, the car seat is, it needs to be replaced. It's just gotten old. And so I've been researching car seats this week. You know, that's one of the things that we do. And we may even get a little heavier than that and do something like researching vaccinations um, or some of us really get enthusiastic. This this was kind of me, which is like thinking about schooling choices while our baby's still in the womb, that sort of thing. But still, what I'm talking about is looking even farther than what most of us do. And specifically, once our kids are here in parenting, though, if you're pregnant, this is certainly something that you can think about. So when, again, when we're with our newborn, everything is, you know, it's right there in the moment. It's this is happening right now. I've got to take care of this need for this baby right this minute because this is urgent. You know, we all know that a newborn's wants and needs are essentially the same thing and they're all urgent. 
I actually think that many of us continue parenting in that way. I did a class for Smart Mama Happy Baby this week on juggling two or more, and I got a lot of questions for that class. Uh, After that class, before that class, during that class, it was definitely a hot topic. And I really enjoyed it. But one thing that I noticed was a trend was that many of the moms were having a lot of trouble because their toddler was basically expecting, you know, they felt like they should be as present and on the ball for the toddler as they were for their newborn. Or even some of the moms at this point have basically two toddlers, a baby who's old enough to be a toddler and a newborn, and they're still trying to juggle everything as if they have two newborns. Um, And that's not, you know, that's not really the way that parenting should continue once you get past that really urgent stage. And I think it's hard with with the first baby, and especially when you go from one to two, that transition can be pretty tough. But it's also just part of what we feel with parenting. Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot in Smart Mama Happy Baby is that many of the moms who are attracted to Smart Mama Happy Baby and to naturalbirthandbabycare.com, all of my resources, are coming from more of a natural perspective, holistic parenting, where we really want to be there. We want to meet our children's needs. We don't necessarily want to be what they call now traditional parenting, which is a weird term. It should really be called like 1930s and 40s and 50s parenting, maybe. I don't know. But anyways, you know, most of us don't want to do like the harsh cry it out and those sorts of things that we associate with that era of parenting uh, where dads were disconnected and all those, those sorts of things. So we parent almost in reaction to that, and it feels difficult to really do anything than, you know, constantly try and meet your children's needs because you perceive a need which I will argue is actually a want after we get past a certain point, but you still feel like you need to meet it, and, and it's, it's very difficult. And what we want to do today is we want to look at the fact that, yes, it's, it's right and good, to meet all of a newborn's needs and wants right away. And throughout our child's lives, there will be particular needs and wants that we meet right away. Uh, And there will be needs that we make sure that we meet. Uh, But there will often be times when there are true needs where even in childhood, our child has to wait. For example, supper must finish cooking before you eat it. That sort of thing, even if the child is really, really, really hungry for whatever reason. We all realize that waiting 20 more minutes for the meat to cook through is not going to cause some sort of long-term damage to our child. So, you know, but we still make sure, we want to make sure that we're meeting those needs. One of the things that I share when I'm talking about juggling life with an unruly toddler is the first thing that you do is make sure that you have a routine in place. And one of the keys to that routine is making sure that basic needs are met. For example, toddler is not overly hungry. Toddler is not overly tired because when a child is hungry or is overly tired, um, they're unhappy. Now, some of those things are There's wiggle room there. For example, I don't think that the American, or I should say probably Western, but not not all Western countries, but like the American, Canadian, feed your child every five minutes throughout the morning and afternoon and evening. Uh, I don't think that's healthy. Uh, If you look at other cultures, 
they don't feed their children that often and their children don't die and their children are also happy. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to go off on lots of rabbit trails here and I don't want to. But I, you know, I do think that we need to make sure that our children are getting three square meals and a snack or maybe a couple snacks a day. Those are needs that really do need to be met. So we continue. And of course, we meet our children's needs for love and attention. That doesn't mean our children need 24-7 mom is focused on me entertainment. Uh, and if you're interested in really digging deep into that, the class that I taught this week, Juggling Two or More, uh, is definitely a class to listen to because we really, we really dug into that and how to get that quantity time with your child or children without having to be 100% focused on your child to the detriment of all of your other children and all of your housework and things you need to do for self-care and all of that sort of thing. So that was in that class, which is also part of the Smart Mama Happy Baby Club. But anyway, so really where I'm going with this is once we're past that newborn stage, we realize that we need to meet our child's needs. But another thing that I think that we need to realize is that our children are going to grow up. They're going to become adults. This is something where I don't feel like we need to necessarily go to the children are little adults paradigm that was existent in the past in some cultures. Um, in some places, I'm sure that, that that's still the case. I don't think it was the case in all cultures, but surely in some, children were just seen as small adults or small sources of labor or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is that your children will become adults. And think about last week on the podcast when I talked about looking at problems with our kids through the lens of habits. So if our children form habits in their youthful years, those habits are habits that will be carried forward into adulthood. It's actually pretty rare for a child to outgrow something that's a bad habit. Often we see it change or mutate a little bit. They may bring it into more socially acceptable boundaries. But for example, if we take temper tantrums, think about how many 8-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds you see who still have some form of a sulking tantrum. Think of how many teenagers slam doors, scream, put fists through walls, break down sobbing when they don't get their way. Think about how many adults do those same things. So I use that because it's a very clear example. Um, and I'm, it doesn't mean that those emotions are wrong. But the way that those emotions are being handled, I think we would all agree, is not the healthiest way to deal with those emotions. And if we believe that a child who has an unhealthy habit of expressing their emotions through a tantrum when they're little is going to outgrow that, it's, I, I think that often when we see kids who have had tantrums as toddlers, they manage to continue to, to have some form or another of tantrum as they grow. If you have a child, and here's another thing, if you have the complete absence of something, it's very difficult to form that during adulthood. For example, if you have a child who's never learned to sit and listen and focus, that child may struggle with that throughout their school years, 
no matter what kind of schooling they do, that child may struggle with that as an adult. If you have a child who has never learned to think of others, to be kind and compassionate, they are probably not going to grow into an adult that has those qualities. Now, as adults, we can all change. We can all change. When I was a child, I didn't, I was painfully shy and I was overly emotional. And I guess you could probably still say that I am now. (laughs) But um, I also, uh, you know, helping others, serving others, that sort of thing was just, that was not something that my family did. Now, my dad's entire life was dedicated to service. He was and is a chaplain, uh, also a licensed professional counselor. So his entire life was devoted to service, but he did that at work. It wasn't at home with me. Um, And he was often working long hours. My mom has been chronically ill since I was a little girl. So, you know, that just wasn't something that she was able to do. I did one volunteering class in school, but I didn't really get involved in any clubs or anything that emphasized that. So it just wasn't part of me. Now, I have to focus a lot more. One of the things I've had to get over is that painful shyness. And that has really been by pushing myself. I've been able to do it. Uh, I actually still amaze myself uh, because as most of you know, I'm a student midwife. So Um, I'm helping with at least a couple births a month, every month, and have been doing that for quite a while now. Actually, hard to believe. But I tend to get to the appointments before my supervising midwife does because she's always running a little bit behind. Uh, And so, and oftentimes I'll get to an appointment, usually a home visit that I get to first, but I'll get to a home visit. And sometimes I haven't met the couple yet. This is the first appointment that I've been to of theirs. Uh, And I just, I, I, it's almost like I'm watching outside of myself when I go up and when I introduce myself and when I'm cheerful and when I start a conversation, you know, talking to the mom and the dad and everything. And I just sit there and go, is this really me? Is this that same painfully shy kid who can just go up to these complete strangers in their house and introduce herself? So I'm definitely not discounting that we can change. And I'm also trying to be much more intentional um, with reaching out, with serving others, uh, with being compassionate towards others. I, I don't feel like I'm great at it. I feel like it's a struggle. Like, where do I start finding these opportunities to serve other people outside of being a student midwife or running my website, you know, but like really getting into the community and, and serving people. But that's something I want my kids to have. So it's something that I consciously work on. But again, as you've seen as a common thread just with me, and I'm sure you can think of with you, these are things you have to consciously work on because they weren't traits that were instilled in you when you were a small child. So when When we parent for the future, when we parent for the adults that our children will become, it doesn't necessarily mean that we expect them to act like adults or that we're going to treat them like adults all the time or slave labor all the time, but it means we're going to look at habits that our children have that might not be the best habits, that might not serve them well. And this is where we go back to last week's podcast and we get to the bottom of these habits and we also look at how do we address these things? Like how can we break this habit of having having a tantrum? I'll give an example with my kids right now. This is something I've never really encountered. But Sadie actually cries at the end of every meal if there are no seconds. It doesn't really matter if she's full or not. 
It's just, to her, it's important to get seconds. And how do you explain to a two-year-old, you know, if your belly feels full, you don't need seconds. We don't have seconds at every meal. It's okay. You had a big bowl of oatmeal for breakfast. You know, all of that reasoning just goes right over her head. So that's, you know, and I don't really think that she's wrong for that, but it's not a habit that she needs to continue. So that's one of the things that I'm really proactively trying to work on right now is like as soon as she's done with the meal, it's instead getting her right out of the high chair, handing her her bowl, helping her take her bowl to the kitchen, cheerfully saying thank you for the meal, mama, or if uh, somebody else made the meal, thank you, Cassidy, or thank you, Asher, for the meal. So that, you know, I'm really working to to overcome that habit, to change that habit into something different. So that's where we want to look if our kids have bad habits, when we are looking towards the future, it's, you know, I don't want my child to sulk with dissatisfaction because they didn't get enough. And I also don't want her to feel like she has to have extra at every meal to make that meal a complete meal because that's probably not ultimately good for her health either. So that's just taking one behavior and saying, what do I need to do? And that is like the behavior that we're focusing on right now, because sometimes correcting more than one behavior can be tough. Um, But, you know, so you want to make sure that you're parenting for the future, for who you want your child to become. I would guess that the statement I'm about to make is accurate for everybody listening to this podcast. You want your child to grow up to be a kind, compassionate human being. I don't think that anybody will argue with that. So you need to parent right now. How do I help my child create the habit of being a kind and compassionate person? And that also informs the kind of parent that you will be. That's how you decide. How am I going to parent my child? And yes, that means... I need to show kindness and compassion to my child. But it goes beyond that because think about it. Think about it. This is this is a cliche too. How many of you listening, if I were to ask you, did your mom do the housework when you were growing up? Many of you would probably say, my mom did it all. The house was beautiful. I got out on my own. I had no idea how to take care of a house. So you probably even watched your mom cleaning the house around you, but she didn't want you to have to do it. That's what she did while you were at school or she knew you had homework. So, you know, she gave you time to do your homework and then go out and play. And she handled all of that. Maybe she handled all the meals. And when you got out on your own, you were clueless. So being kind and compassionate to our children isn't enough to make them into kind and compassionate people. I think it's part of it. But we also need to decide that we're going to parent for that. And I actually believe that this is kind of a trick question. What kind of parenting style am I going to use? Because what I, th- what I think after 15 years of parenting uh, is that our parenting styles ebb and flow, change and grow along with our children. And you might try something and realize it was a total failure. <laughs> and you might need to even apologize to your kid. That was a complete failure. Or you might realize later on, I should have done something that I didn't do, and that really shortchanged you, and I'm sorry. Uh, But that's okay. The big thing is not really to get married to one style. Don't don't be super wishy-washy, like one day you're a complete authoritarian nut, and then the next day you're super relaxed. There should be consistency. That's actually what's most important for our children is consistency. But what I'm saying is that, you know, attachment parenting may fit very well when your little one is a newborn, 
but at least your definition of attachment parenting may not work as well in toddlerhood. Now, I know some of you may argue with me that attachment parenting doesn't mean permissive parenting and it changes in toddlerhood, but I think that that change is lost on a lot of people because they're really just focusing on the baby period. And so for some people it may think it may help them to think, okay, I used this very high touch attachment parenting when my little one was little and now I'm still going to be high touch. I'm going to meet my child's needs both physical and emotional needs, um, but I'm also going to introduce some other aspects in here. So I think that it's okay if it changes. You don't have to like cling to one label. Just like as you're deciding, you know, what like what methodologies you think are most important. Like some parents are like, well, I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm a Waldorfing parent or, or a Waldorf parent or a Montessori parent. You know, you don't have to stick with that or homeschooling parents do this a lot. You know, I'm a, a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. I'm a unit study homeschooler. I'm a textbook homeschooler. You know, you don't have to stick. You don't have to stick to one label. Give yourself some flexibility. You're you. You're the parent that your kid needs. Okay, so let's talk let's talk about a couple practical things. Um, so one of the things that I think is really important to realize when we're parenting our children for who they will become is to realize that giving our children a happy childhood is not the focus of parenting, okay? A Disneyland childhood is not the focus of parenting. This one is one of those, you know, the pendulum swung towards child labor and now... It's swung all the way back to the other side of giving our children a life of ease and fun and day in, day out, you know, just fun. And then, so think about the example I gave a few minutes ago, where if your mom did everything for you and then you're out on your own, you don't have any idea how to do anything. So if our children spend all of their days, day in and day out, playing, maybe with a little bit of school here and there, that's the life that they're prepared for. And that's not the life that they're going to meet when they're done. Um, and this is something I feel I feel almost like that, and I think I talked about this on my Smart Mama Happy Baby call this week, but I almost feel like I went a little bit overboard on this when I was trying to explain it to my older kids, you know, that life is not all fun and games. We don't always get what we want. Um, and I feel like my older kids are even a little bit cynical or pessimistic, which is not, that's not a habit that I want them to have. Um, so I've been trying to explain to them lately, because they're teens, so it's more explaining, though I don't know how much good explaining does all the time, but it's just telling them, you know, your dad and I have always emphasized that life isn't going to necessarily be easy, that we don't always get what we want, which is true for everybody. But that doesn't mean that life, you know, this doesn't mean that life sucks. That doesn't mean that life is horrible. That doesn't mean that we can't really enjoy our life, even though we know that life takes some work and that we aren't always going to get what we want. I mean, you know, if I could always get what I wanted, then I would have called the Mercedes Benz dealer yesterday and ordered a Mercedes Sprinter or whatever this ridiculously expensive um, passenger van that we were looking at yesterday was. I went to the site, you know, one of those frivolous things where, I don't know, some of you may look at houses like that you'll never buy or something, but somebody had mentioned this van to us, so I went and looked it up and they had a little build-your-own on the site. And, you know, the van's $57,000. I'm never going to get that van. 
I'm never going to get that van. <laughs> um, I sure would like that van because it's a 4x4 van so one gets stuck in the snow like our Chevy Express does. But I'm totally okay and I believe that I can have a full and happy life even if I don't get everything I want because if I got everything I want, I'd have that van. So it's just, you know, it's it's things like that. And then, of course, there are things that we want that actually really mean a lot more that we don't get. And sometimes that's a hard lesson for kids to learn. So I do think, you know, that when we want, we want to help our children understand life's realities. But I also feel like we want, you know, we want to have them, we want them to have a joyful, happy experience. That really is, it goes back to habits too. We want our children to have a habit of being a happy and positive person, of having a positive outlook on life. That's a state of mind. That's a habit. One of the interesting things that I've learned with my mom having a stroke last year is is all of the research that's being done in neuroscience. And everything that we really understand about personality, for most people, maybe this doesn't apply to psychopaths, I'm not sure, but for most people, what we think about as fixed personality traits, are that's not true. Those are habits. So if you think to yourself, I'm pessimistic, that's actually not true. It will take effort and work, but you can literally rewire and re-sculpt your brain to be a positive person because that's what neuroplasticity means. The brain is incredible. It does take a lot of work. So, you know, you have to set reminders in place and all that sort of thing. And you have to get into the habit of like gratitude and stuff. That's one of the things that I'm trying to do with my kids when they're being sulky is think about three things you're grateful for. Or when you're washing the dishes and grumbling that you don't want to wash the dishes, think about something that you're positive about. Uh, they were, they've been making costumes lately. So think about the costume that you want to make. So, you know, just helping them shift that mindset time after time after time after time after time and eventually just like we we think of it about any habit it becomes a habit that instead of being down in the doldrums you're cheerful and positive so again with our children we don't want to give strive to give them a happy childhood and make their childhood happy and, and carefree. I think we should try and keep it as free of stress as possible. You know, the types of stress that are really toxic to children. Um, we want to work on our marriages. If we're having problems with marriage, we want to reach out and get help. Uh, for our marriage and for our children's sake. We want to try and stay on top of money issues. Or again, if there's trouble with money, get help. Um, we want to make sure that our children's needs are met so that those stressors are not there. And if those stressors are there, reach out for help because there's help for those sorts of things in most communities. Um, and so, but I'm talking about like, don't try and protect your child from the day-to-day. -day. It's time to do chores. Don't protect your child from the day-to-day. -day. I know you really want me to buy that toy, but we're just not going to be able to get it today. Um, so, the, and this is what I talked about a lot on the Smart Mama Happy Baby class this week, the juggling two or more, is right from the get-go, Include your child in the housework. The The blessing of this with young children is they think it's incredibly fun. <laughs> they think it's wonderful. Um, they might not have that same attitude when they grow, but again, if while you are doing the housework and displaying that 
great attitude of I'm gonna sing and you know do the whole Mary Poppins routine while I'm doing the housework or even even if you're not you know gonna be singing and stuff smiling or chattering just enjoying life with your kids and including them in the day-to-day life of a family Um, and you know, as they grow and they move to where they're doing more independently, just encouraging that positive outlook, you know, so they never grow in that Disneyland bubble where they never do anything. They always know that they help around the house and they always know that they need to do a good job with their schoolwork when that time comes, those sorts of things. And then, like I said, I was trying to work on with my kids, you know, they always know that, okay, we're going to deliver meals on wheels this week, or we're going to do this or that for the elderly in the community, or we're going to do this for a sick neighbor or that for a neighbor who just had a baby. You know, those sorts of things are experiences that you build into their life and that you include them in. And I believe that most of you listening would say that if you think about that, a happy childhood where I'm helping mom around the house, where we're doing volunteer work for others, where we get the schoolwork done when it needs to be done, and then when it's time to play, we enjoy playtime, we enjoy family time, sometimes we enjoy alone time. You know, that sounds, I think that sounds like a good childhood. And I think that when many of us think back on our own childhoods, and we think about those afternoons in the sun with friends, um, we also think about doing chores if our parents had us do chores, or we think about the schoolwork and you know, so when we picture an ideal childhood, or especially uh, as as young teens and teens, um, we think about the work and that sort of thing too. It's not just all play, and so that's what we want for our kids: is we want to give them, we want to give them a good, satisfying life, but not necessarily an unrealistic, idealistic life, if that makes sense. And what we want to do throughout their childhood is look for ways to help them grow into a great person. This can begin right at home with, okay, I'm going to help the family. Having siblings is a fabulous chance to do this. Or if you are a multi-generational home, another good opportunity. Um, You know, just helping your little one look for practical ways to show love and to help their siblings, to show love and to help grandparents, that sort of thing. So that that is just part of them. Those are habits you're instilling. It might be difficult for you, but that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why you're the parent is, you know, thinking, okay, well, I've got these two little boys who are constantly sparring with each other. How do I encourage them to show love to one another? I, I I read a story from one mom about how she noticed that her children kind of bickered a lot and rarely showed compassion to each other. And so she started with boo-boos. So, and this one was interesting for me to read because Scott and I have always been kind of like, oh, you got a scratch, you got a scrape. Man, that's epic. And then, you know, encouraging them to get right right up and go back into it. But I really liked what this mom said. You know, she said that um, if, say, the little one stubbed her toe, you know, she would say, oh, you stubbed your toe. Are you okay? Let me give you a hug. I don't think she was effusive about it. But she also encouraged her other children. Oh, sister, come give little sister a hug. She stubbed her toe. Are you okay? So she encouraged her girls to do that. And she said one night one of the girls rolled out of bed 
Um, and she heard the other one, oh, are you okay, sister? You know, that sort of thing. And so basically, she just planted that little seed and created that little habit of showing compassion there. And then she was able to encourage compassion uh, in other places and in other times. She started with very real physical things and then was able to move on to things like, oh, don't you, you know, do you think that it would hurt sister if you take that toy away from her kind of thing? So just finding ways to encourage love between siblings is a great way to begin. And then as we already talked about, finding those opportunities in the community to serve, finding ways to serve the family. You can do this with a spouse too. You know, oh, daddy's coming home. He told me that he has had a hard day at work. So we're going to do this, this, and this so that the house is peaceful and calm for daddy when he gets home. Uh, that's actually something that I always used to do is if Scott had a hard day at work, he really likes incense. So I would light a stick of incense when I knew that he was he would be getting close to the house and we would try and have the house clean and picked up so that he would come in and the house would smell nice and it would be relatively picked up I would usually try and make sure that dinner was in some stage close to being done because I knew that um you know that he'd had a hard day and that's not anything about the fact that you know I was being a wife and pandering to my husband or whatever uh, that was more about I was being compassionate towards another human being for whom I care very much. And I encouraged my children to take part in that. So there are many ways just in the family that we can help encourage when somebody's sick is another time. So, you know, just many times. And I think sometimes even with my older kids with chores that they don't want to do, you know, I will tell them, look, you sorting the laundry with a good attitude really helps me. Thank you for being willing to help me. And I don't know that it really helps them change grumbly attitudes, but I also feel like if I had emphasized this stuff more when they were little, that I wouldn't have the same grumbly attitudes that I have now. So I think that helping children have a good attitude about helping others really does help them grow into a great person. And I also think that you can, of course, teach them about appropriate self-care, and you should. You know, like, you've worked really hard today. Thanks for helping me. Would you like to go sit down and read a book or play with a toy? Do you want to do something just for yourself for a little while? Thanks so much for helping me. Now you can take care of you. You know, that sort of thing is really natural too. So those are the things that we want to do. And I think I've emphasized it, my final point in my notes here, was just finding a family-centered focus. And I think that's a really good thing to do. When we have newborns, we have a baby-centered focus, and rightly so. But I feel like relatively quickly after the newborn period, it becomes a family-centered focus. It's more, let's look at the rhythm of the family and what are the needs of the family. There are always times in the family where we're going to make sure that we put the children's needs first. That's very natural. Again, most of us would go without a meal, go without many meals, if we knew that it me meant that our children would eat if they otherwise wouldn't. Um, but I get lots and lots of moms contacting me who are super sleep deprived because they've got a toddler who's still up a bajillion times a night or a toddler and an older baby. And you know what? I really encourage them. I say, take a family centered focus, giving your child the gift of good sleep habits and giving them a well rested mommy is the best blessing that you can give them. It blesses the entire family. There is a point at which, um, validating our children and all of those kinds of buzzwords, uh, it, it begins to fall flat 
if it results in an unhealthy family dynamic. And I'm not telling you, you know, that you need to go lock, you know, you need to lock your children in a room somewhere or something so that you can get some time for yourself. Nothing like that. Um, but there are definitely ways that we can parent and guide our children uh, into growing to be members of the family and members of the community. So our life involves our children and to a certain extent, of course, a parent's life revolves around their children. Um, but day to day, 24-7, your life does not literally revolve around your children. You're busy doing other things and including your children in that in that sort of thing. Again, like I said, the juggling to our more class went into a lot of the practicals of what I'm talking about. And you can check that out in Smart Mama Happy Baby, which is smartmama, M-A-M-A, happybaby.com. But again, just remember when you're parenting, especially once you move past that newborn period, once you move past that babes and arm period, um, and we've got a busy little person, it's good to start looking at how can I incorporate them into, into my day, or how can I give them good habits, um, like playing and exploring some in a safe space on the floor while I have a few minutes to do something else. How can I put them in a carrier while we go about the day-to-day? How do I include my toddler as we go about completing the day-to-day tasks that need to be completed for the family? That sort of thing. And then as our children go, how am I instilling these habits that I want my child to have? I want my child to grow to be a kind and compassionate person. I want them to grow to be a person who can be successful, a person who can be a diligent worker that can hold down a job, or if they're an entrepreneur, can keep clients around. Um, Very important skills. You know, how do I help cultivate those? One thing as a parent that I do not think you should do, even if you choose to send your kids to school, is never assume that the school system is going to instill these values in your child. You need to make sure that you are being proactive with it because I hate to say it, the school agenda is is not necessarily towards creating that in human beings. The school agenda is is on getting your child from kindergarten to 12th grade with a diploma and reasonably good test scores. There are going to be some teachers along the way who really do care But they have a lot on their plates. Nobody cares about your child more than you do. Nobody cares more about your child's success as an adult. And when I say success as an adult, I am not talking about financial or material success. I'm talking about you've raised a person who is kind, who is compassionate, who can work hard, who can contribute something to the world, and who can be healthy for themselves. You know, that's what I'm talking about when I say a successful adult. So you need to be the one who focuses on how do I help guide my child to that. And when you look at everything, look at everything through that lens. You know, is it stressing my child out? Is it too much? Especially when you get into activities. Um, And I think, of course, we look into our child's wants, too, as they get older with activities and all that sort of thing. But we also measure with our wisdom as parents, which is why we're parents. That just doesn't stop. It just becomes much more, um, you know, they're much more involved and we talk through things with them and and that sort of thing. And I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent again because I want to finish up this podcast. But just think, think towards the future as well as towards the right now as you make your parenting decisions and as you decide okay, what am I going to do about what's going on with my child right now? Or how am I going to make sure that this thing that I hope for 
is going to be part of my child when they grow up. Because you as a parent, um, you know, you have a very big part in shaping your child for the future. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right, y'all, I think that'll be it for today. Hopefully when I bring you the podcast next week, I won't sound stuffy. The cold will be all gone. Um, Until then, I hope that you have a blessed week. If you're interested in more of the nitty-gritty practical about all of this stuff, we have tons of resources in Smart Mama Happy Baby. I'd love to see you there. Check it out at Smart Mama Happy Baby. That's M-A-M-A, smartmamahappybaby.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week on the podcast, and I hope you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.